You know what to do with those Bible verses, right? Yes. You do. Everybody else know what to, what should they do, Leanne? They go to the, they go to the desk and whoever's there, probably not my dad. <laughs> okay, so probably not Ryan, but everybody go else to who else is at the desk where the music notes are on the wall, and? Um, you say, you tell them which verse it is, you say it to them, and then you write your name and your initials on a note. Okay, and then what happens? Somebody else gets a new Bible in the world. So it's pretty easy. It's a way for us to internalize Scripture, but it's also a way to contribute uh, to other folks getting a Bible. So, okay, good. Quick memory test. What verse did we just sing? 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Good, Paul. So you got one more at least. Maybe he did all right. So anyway, after, go sometime, make your way over there and... uh, you, you don't have to sing them. Say those memory verses for Orion or Carrie, whoever's manning the desk there. And uh, someone gets a Bible, and you remember the Bible too. A few years ago, I was sitting in a ministry class with a bunch of folks who are practicing ministry. They're on the field. And the teacher said, um, said don't raise your hands. Don't, don't show me anything. He said, but I suspect in this room, some of you are struggling with addictions of some sort. You'd be surprised in a group of ministers that that's not uncommon. Human, just like everybody else. Then he followed up with a second question. Do you have access to the resources you need to overcome your addiction right now? Again, he didn't ask for a response. But the response came anyway. Yes, so he said, question number three, so why don't you go? So this morning, I'm going to talk about addictions a bit. I keep getting, I don't know, Kelly, did you do this on purpose? I keep getting the hard subjects, but a few years before that, I was um, <clears throat> invited, um, some recovery groups, Alcoholics Anonymous does this, uh, there's a group called Bad Boys, I don't know if that's nationwide or just in Ontario, but we got invited. We were working with a guy uh, who was recovering, and he, they had a bring-a-friend day. So I, I got to be the friend, and then they go, we just kind of observe, and folks go through their normal routine. Hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm an alcoholic. Or at Bad Boys, it was, hi, my name is Jonathan, and I'm a meth addict. Um, and I've been dry for three hours, or I've been dry for 30 years, or I've been clean for... And they go around the table... So they're going around the table until one guy said, uh, I guess I've been, I relapsed yesterday, but, and then he started into an excuse. And man, all the other guys at the table jumped down his throat. And they use language that I can't repeat from here. And they loved him. And I remember thinking at that moment, Maybe churches should learn something from the recovery community because they love that guy and they were honest with him and they would not take an excuse. They stuck it to him. We're going to talk in a minute about uh, the prodigal son and his big brother and his father, but I just kind of put those two out to to put a challenge before all of us. Um, Why was it that a group of ministry majors, we could acknowledge our problems quietly very difficult to talk about them openly. 
We might have access to the resources that we would need to recover, but we're hesitant. Then in this recovery community, you had people who were right there with each other, helping them walk forward. Um, I mentioned I got, I got assigned this topic. I must have lost a draw or something among the staff. It's not an easy one, and so I want you to know as I begin, I have no pretense of addressing a topic this complicated with any sort of simple fix or silver bullet. Um, it would be pretentious of me to say, if you've been struggling with an addiction for years and years and years, here's how you can get over it. It's a struggle. It's called addiction for a reason because it holds us. Uh, second thing, um, I think if I, I use this analogy in the first service too, and I'll use it here, it's an ugly analogy, but I think it's pretty apt. If, if we could pull the scab of secrecy off of the surface of this room, we would find some interesting things festering under the surface, right in here. Um, you don't have to go outside the walls to find struggles with addiction. I know that's in this room, and so let's be honest about it and talk about it for a few minutes here. Uh, let's, let's, um, let's name some, so let's get some things on the table, though, as we begin. The, you know, there's, the, there's the, the low-hanging fruit, right? Alcohol, drugs, things related to our sexuality, pornography, uh, sex addictions of various sorts. But there's a lot of other things on that table as well. So what are some of the other things that we're addicted to? And you don't, this is, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for confessions. I'm going to keep it safe. You can talk about something out there. Don't name names, just name addictions. What else are the things that we struggle with? Food, okay. Money. Pardon? Phones. It's a real thing. Phones and the social media attached to them. Okay, yep. Video games. Yeah, so, so some, some of you think video games. Um, when I was in graduate school, there was a couple that I was close with. And anytime I went to visit them, the, the video game console was set up. Like, and it was an elaborate console. The husband had invested some money into this console. And it was set up, and his game was in progress always. Um, maybe as much as eight hours a day he spent on that. That's addiction level. And his marriage fell apart. They didn't make it. Uh, it had serious impact. So some other things. Cigarettes and shopping. And shopping for cigarettes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. But that's right. And uh, in the first service, the same kind of thing happened up. Someone said shopping and someone said phones at the same time and, and shopping on phones or for phones. Uh, there was another one over here. Gambling. Yeah. Yeah, so all sorts of substances, right? Um, worry. Okay. Yeah, actually, I, I think that might be true. We fret and we, we fixate on things, right? Okay, so good. We got those on the table. And the reason I do that is so that we can all together self-incriminate. Most of us can pick something on that list that we struggle with to some... Yeah, you got one more? Hunger is an, as an addiction. I need the mental health professionals to help me out with that one. But I think maybe some of the... Um, 
the conditions that come along with that are responses that would be similar to addiction, sure. Sugar, yeah, eating disorders, thank you. Related, yeah, work. And what, what's, why, is, why could we say work is an addiction? What is it that we're after when we're addicted to work? Okay. Okay, so it can be, yeah, I don't want to go home, escape, escape with being busy, affirmation, yeah. Okay, good, we got a lot on the table. Okay. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, you say that to the guy with the microphone, right? I'm not addicted to control. <laughs> Vanity, there's, anyway, the list goes on and on, that's right. Um. Gossip, keep going. But okay, plus we okay, we good. We are we we know clearly now we're in a mess. I I don't have uh, like I said I don't have a silver bullet for this an easy fix, but I have three words. Okay, so so to say them with me. First is hope. Second is work. Third is community. Okay, hope, work, community. I think if, uh, if you could sit with God in this space and ask the question about, what's God, what is your heart for me when I'm struggling in the pit of addiction? It's this. I love you, and it is my heart to set you free. The long story, the long story of the Bible is liberation and rescue again and again and again. God wants to set us free. I'm going to read a, a couple passages here. I guess read one and talk about the other one. <clears throat> this is from Luke chapter 4. So this is, uh, I think, this is the core of the gospel. Jesus has been baptized. He's, he's been through the desert, the temptation. He's overcome he comes to his hometown, Nazareth. This is the first sermon. He's saying, look, this is what my ministry is going to look like. This is what it's about. Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Really, it's like to gospel the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Freedom, 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 and freedom. That's my heart for you, is to be free. Uh, now, we've got a problem with the word freedom in our culture because we love it. We love the word freedom. Um, and actually, it's kind of apropos today, right? Tomorrow is Remembrance Day, and we're talking a lot about freedom appropriately. But let me make a big distinction. There's a difference between freedom from and freedom to. We love freedom to. I can do what I want. It's a free country. I can do whatever I want. I'm free. You can't tell me what not to do or what to do. That is not the freedom of the Bible. It's not license to do whatever we want and to destroy ourselves. It's freedom from whatever enslaves us. That's a big difference. Freedom from, not freedom to. 
Second thing, there, there's a lady uh, named Hannah Whitehall Smith who over 100 years ago penned a book called the, the Christian Secret to a Happy Life. And she asked a really interesting question about grace. She said, you know, we think about grace as God um, releasing me from the consequences of my sin. I sin, I deserve punishment. God says, I'm not going to punish you as you deserve. That's grace. Heaven, new hope, recovery, whatever. Things that happen after we sin. She says, but could we include in the definition of grace that God, the God who is powerful enough to release us from the consequences of our sin is also strong enough to release us from the power of sin itself. To set us free from the power of sin to enslave us in the first place. Isn't God strong enough to do that? So she rolls, do you understand the difference? She rolls it back a bit on the timeline and says, you're not just free from the consequences of sin. God says, you're free from the power of sin over you through the cross. It's a different thing. I think that's what we see here. Anointed, Christ was anointed to bring good news to the poor, to, sent to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and jubilee to happen. And jubilee is just like layers and layers and layers of slavery ending, indebtedness ending, all kinds of bondage ending. That's the core of the gospel at the beginning. You want to roll forward a bit into Luke 15, and you have the story that we all know of the prodigal son, which is really the story of the prodigal son, his brother, and their father, right? The the prodigal son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me some money. He said, I'm going to go and, in today's language, what we say, self-medicate, right? I'm going to go deal with my hurts and my anxiety by feeding all of my desires, And he goes off and he ends up at the end of all of that in the worst possible place for a Jew in a pig pen, feeding pigs, wishing he could eat the stuff that they eat, but he can't even do that. So he crawls back to his dad. And what's the posture of his father? We know this story, right? He's he's poised at the front porch watching the road, waiting for the sun to just turn, just turn towards me. And then he sprints out to get him. What's the reaction of the older brother? Resentment, right? Frustration. I've kept all the rules and I don't get a fatted calf slaughtered for me or the ring for me or the new coat or any of this stuff. I don't get a party. And the father says, really to both of them, that's because all of this stuff belongs to you. But we have reason to rejoice for the one that was lost is found. Right? Who are we in that story? All of us. I hope there's not an older brother in this crowd from that story. We're all the return prodigals in one way or another. So what do we do as a return prodigals? We join God on the front porch watching the road for the folks coming home. Um, Second thing, work. So a work is an ugly word with relation to this because you think, oh, he's going to tell me I've got to try harder, I've got to work harder. Actually, what I want to say is maybe we could work differently at some of this stuff. Uh, there's a woman named Elaine Heath. She was a professor at uh, SMU where Kelly went. Um, she's now the, 
uh, dean of the Divinity College at Duke University. She makes an interesting observation. She says, I think the story of the fall is not the story of original sin. It's the story of original woundedness. Because our sin flows out of our woundedness. Addiction flows out of our woundedness. Um, When we sit down at Wednesday lunch, the thing that I think again and again and again and again is we have got to figure out trauma care for folks. Um, We love people. We're friends with them. We can eat together. We got to go a step further and figure out trauma care. Miles and I were having a conversation about anxiety management, right? That's part of what um, all addictions are, a form of managing our anxieties by self-medicating in some ways. So here's what I want to say for work. First thing about the work is listen to the story of the sin. If there's a specific struggle, listen to the story behind that struggle. And then address that part. Address the trauma underneath the addiction. Don't just try harder. Let's figure out together what's going on so we can, so we can get the source waters, right? Um, here's a quick test. Is Kelly in the room now? He, w- he was in the first service. And he's the only one who knew this in the first service. Anybody know the name Harry Emerson Fosdick? I see, okay, Ed. Anybody else? Harry Emerson Fosdick. He was a minister in the early 20th century. One of the things that he's known for is he was one of the first people to review the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in 1939. So the first edition of uh, the big book that came out for Alcoholics Anonymous, he as a minister reviewed it, gave it the thumbs up, and uh, Alcoholics Anonymous looks back on that as one of the things that helped get them going um, publicly. But he was a preacher, and he preached a sermon uh, on wrestling with temptation, I would say addictions, and he told the story of the sirens. So do you know this from Greek mythology? So the sirens are these women, or sometimes they're kind of women, harpies, winged, or whatever, but they're evil. But their song is so beautiful and captivating, if you hear it, you have to go to it. You'll succumb to the siren song and crash and be devoured. So there's two famous stories about this. Odysseus, uh, in Homer's writings, right? So Odysseus goes by, he wants to hear the siren song. So what he does is has his crew members all stop their ears with wax, and they bind him to the mast so that he can't get free. And he tells the crew members, no matter how hard I beg, no matter what I do or what I say, don't release me from my bindings until we're out of earshot again. But I want to hear the siren song. So he goes by and it works. Like he's, He hears it, he's... He's totally tortured by it. He begs and pleads for his crewmen to let him go, um, but they don't, and so they get out of earshot, and then he's safe again. There's a second less well-known story. It's in Jason and the Argonauts, and they have Orpheus come along with them when they're on the boat. Do you know this story? Do you know what Orpheus was? He was a musician. And when they got near the Sirens Island, Orpheus played music that was so much more beautiful than the siren song that the siren song lost all of its power. And the sailors could just sail on by. Fosdick's point with that was there's negative 
goodness and positive goodness. And sometimes when we say work, what we mean is, let's try really hard not to succumb to the sin again. Bind me to the mast and stop my ears, but I'm still kind of paying attention to it. And if I happen to hear it, it's going to be so overpowering, I'm going to succumb. And he said, positive goodness is finding something better to listen to, a better song, Michael, and to fix our eyes on Jesus, Miles. I think that's the work that we do. Finally, community. And I think God in this space says, you are not alone. Uh, Trevor Wise put me on to an experiment called Rat Park. And it happened in about 1978 by um, a Canadian researcher named Bruce Alexander. And what he did was he, he put a bunch of rats. He made kind of a, a rat hotel that had everything that the rats needed, had, had community, had food, um, all, various kinds of healthy stimulation. Uh, and then he made a second set of that were just isolated cages. And the rats were in there, had no community. They were isolated. Um, they had what they had, what they needed. They had food. In both sets of cages, he put two bottles. In one bottle, he had just plain water. In the second bottle, the water was laced with morphine and sugar. And the sugar was just to offset the bad taste of the morphine. Guess what happened to the rats in the cages? They tried the morphine. They kept drinking the morphine until they died. Guess what happened to the rats in Rat Park? They tried the morphine, but statistically, they preferred the clean water because the morphine interfered with their social interactions. They didn't like what it did to them. So his, kinda, his whole case was whether the addiction is in the substance or whether the addiction is in the addict and what's going on there, right? And then what counters it? And he said what counters it is community. If only we had a community that we had access to where we were committed to loving each other, you know? Oh, yeah, we do. It's called the church. It's hardwired into our existence that we do two things. We love each other and we love God. I think what happens, though, sometimes is we become a bit like uh, the ministry class that I mentioned at the beginning where we're reticent to do the honest hard work of saying, I'm vulnerable and I need help. And we're reticent to do the hard work of saying, I will walk with you in your journey to recovery. So, we're going to do something different as we end here. Uh, Kelly, and thanks, Hope, for coming back in. You guys are going to join me on the stage. I don't think, Dustin is probably in there, is he? Okay. We got some elders, Miles. Uh, we have any other elders in this service? Francis? Francis, are you in here? Yeah, Francis, come join me on the stage. <clears throat> These people kind of don't have an option. Uh, but I want to open this in- invitation up to anybody else in this room. If you um, have journeyed recovery and you feel like you have some resources or you have a heart to walk with somebody if they're struggling, would you join me on the stage? We're going to be the receivers. And the rest of you don't have to do anything today. I'm not going to call anybody out in a weird way. But if you're willing to walk with somebody, I'd like you to come stand with me. 
and you may, maybe didn't have, or uh, if you're in the mental health profession and you have some access to counseling skills or you could refer somebody, I want you to come stand up here. Ah, oh, thank you. And I'm sure there are more in here. All right, good. We got one more. All right. I'm going to have to stop this before everybody comes up here, but everybody wants to help. Okay, remember the story of the prodigal son and his brother. These are not the older brothers. All of us on this stage, all of us in this room, uh, have been the prodigal in some way at some point. What we do is join uh, the father in his attitude of looking out to the road with our arms outstretched. So what my message is, if you're wrestling with any kind of addiction, these are some folks that you could look to Find a safe person because they're saying they're willing to walk with you. It could be myself, it could be one of the ministry staff, one of our elders or their spouses, or any of these other folks. Uh, you are not alone. Will you pray with me? God, we come to you, and uh, the first thing I want to do is confess that sometimes um, we have traded. Niceness for goodness. Um, help us as a body to humble ourselves. Uh, help us to learn from uh, organizations like the recovery community um, how to have deep fellowship, real community, how to acknowledge and admit when we're struggling and how to walk with each other by the power of your love. Thank you today, God, for these folks who uh, come up here to make themselves visible. And I pray for anybody in this congregation um, or anybody that we have contact with who is struggling right now. Uh, give us all the courage. Um, give us all hope, first of all, to overcome the cycle of despair. And then give us courage to do the work that we need to do with you and by your power. And remind us again and again and again that we're not alone. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Why don't we just stay here and sing? Is that okay? Just praise team, sing loud from wherever you are. I was going to make the announcement earlier, but this is totally appropriate time. You know, we want so much to be a group of people who helps others. And one of the ways that we can do that at this Christmas time is to help those who have some genuine needs. And we've committed ourselves as a church to be involved in giving to those who have some real needs at this time of year. One of the ways that you can do that is by signing up to take one of those uh, opportunities off the table back there, one of the Christmas Marlboro uh, gifts for others. There are still a lot of places that need to be filled in. And you can do a small donation, a big donation, and make a huge difference in somebody else's life. And so I hope you choose to do that as you leave today.